What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the C-String Podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by my fiance, future wife moment. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Gracie. And today, we're talking about something you don't care about at all. <clears throat> but we're uh, we're going to do it anyway. Um, we're talking about uh, democracy today, which... Isn't, doesn't sound that exciting, but I've tried to. I've got a guy here that might help me out. Um, I'm gonna, it's Konstantin Pobedonostsev. Pobedonostsev. That's his name. Um, he's Russian. He was, well, yeah, he was Russian. He died. Um, but he uh, lived from 1827 to 1907. He began his long career as a civil servant in the 1840s. Became a professor, blah, blah, blah. Did a lot of stuff. Um, but very known at the time for being close uh, with the Russian autocracy, having a pretty big say in some of the stuff that was going on at the time, and having a negative view of democracy. So that's kind of the backstory on him. That's kind of all you need to know, really, about him. Because today we're just going to kind of go over the things he talks about. Because I think they're really comparable to some of the stuff that's still going on today and this was only a hundred years ago so not that long and um there's some even some stuff where it sounds like he's come straight out of the book of confucius which was hundreds of years ago so um we're just gonna go ahead and get straight into it i'm gonna be just talking here and you're just gonna bounce things off me all right (laughs) that's kind of how this one's gonna work history buff over here (laughs) so we're going to go over four topics here. We're going to start with his views on democracy in general and kind of su- equality and suffrage and what he th- thinks about that. So what I'm basically going to do is I'm going to read some a, a couple passages of what he wrote down, and then we'll talk about what he says. Okay, real quick. Do you agree or disagree with what he's saying? Well, we haven't even, so you haven't even started yet. Okay. <laughs> we should go over that with what with, after we're going. Okay. Okay, so... I'm going to start here. Um, This is, by the way, I should elaborate. This is in Readings in Russian Civilization, edited by Thomas Riha. Uh, This has been a very fun book to read. I I don't agree with a lot of the books that the curriculum gives out, high school, college, whatever. But, because most of the time they're like novels. You know what I mean? Like they're books. But this is just a collection of, like, really smart people and oh, they're so it's not his whole book it's like no just a chapter no. of his like this is 10 pages out of a 300 page book and there's diff there's different people it's just it's just um like it says i guess readings of, from different russian um people and they're typically pretty smart people um or at least in, you know knowledgeable maybe not the smartest as we'll get into <laughs> so let's get started Uh, with democracy. He says, the new democracy forever extending its base, the new democracy democracy now aspires to universal suffrage, a fatal error, and one of the most remarkable in the history of mankind. By this means, the political power so passionately demanded by democracy would be shattered into a number of infinitesimal bits, of which each citizen acquires a single one. What will he do with it then? How will he employ it? In the result, it has undoubtedly been shown that in the attainment of this aim, democracy violates its sacred formula of freedom indissolubly 
indissolubly, there we go, indissolubly joined with equality. It is shown that this apparently equal distribution of freedom among all involves the total destruction of equality. Each vote, representing an inconsiderable fragment of power, by itself signifies nothing. An aggregation of votes alone has a relative value. This result may be likened to the general meetings of shareholders and public com companies. By themselves, individuals are ineffective, but he who controls a number of those fragmentary forces is master of all power and directs all decisional uh, dispositions. We may well ask in what consists the superiority of democracy. Everywhere, the strongest man uh, becomes master of the state, sometimes a fortunate and resolute general, sometimes a monarch or administrator with knowledge, dexterity, a clear plan of action, and a determined will. In a democracy, the real rulers are the dexterous manipulators of votes, with their placemen, the mechanics who so skillfully operate the hidden springs which move the puppets in the area of democratic elections. I'll stop there, but it keeps going on. So basically, he's saying that um, you, when you have all these, uh, when you distribute democratic, you, know, you, you distribute your government out to the populace, and everybody has a say. What that does is it's, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything until you get a one guy who is able to bring together a majority of people. Mm -hmm. That is what creates. A power dynamic. It's not the fact that the people themselves yeah. have. My vote doesn't really matter that much unless there's a bunch of people who are voting the mm -hmm. same. Yeah, and like like if there was if there was like two hundred different presidential candidates, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of that thing. But when you get when you when it's basically he's just saying why would you take away you know this autocratic you you have under an autocratic rule. You have a guy who's saying things and doing things, and that's it. That's what the law is. Under and under the democracy, he's just saying, okay, you're giving, you're letting people. You think you're letting people, you know, get what they want, but then they're just voting for somebody who is going to do the same thing because they have all this power now, and they can kind of just do and say what they want and leave the real, you know, intrigues of the people behind them. Just focus on their solutions and their, you know, laws that they want to make. Mm -hmm. um, there are some counterpoints to that. I think that it was cool how I talked about the big companies and stockholders. I know you're going to like that. Because. <laughs> Business like, major, by the way. Um, well, like, one of the things we talked about in economy, my economy class, was about how when you have, like, Budweiser is a big company. They own all the little companies like Coors mm -hmm. and Bush and all this. Like, yes, they're individual things, but they're all owned by Budweiser. So really, they're the, like, controlling... They're controlling, they're controlling everything. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, Very Corona, Corona and stuff like that. Those are other brands, which are still popular, and Budweiser has tried to buy out Corona so that they have all of them. Mm -hmm. So that then when they go up in price... They, all the prices go up. Mm -hmm. Because if they go up in price now and Corona stays the same, everybody's just going to buy Corona because it's cheaper. And so it's like, that kind of makes sense. It does make, yeah. It's very, very comparable. I, I would say that's, it was a good uh, good example by him. And I think uh, the one, you know, the one difference, the one huge difference between, you know, democratic voting and then the 
autocratic rule that he uh, glosses over is the fact that when you have a monarch, you have that monarch. Either they need to be assassinated, there <laughs> needs to be a falsity to the throne, or they need to die. Like, by natural, like, they just need to get old and die. So you're stuck with whoever you got. Whereas when you vote somebody, you can correct your mistake, basically. Mm -hmm. And so people who are corrupt and can't exactly hold power for as long, necessarily, as somebody who's inherited it. Um, But again, that's, that's a... In monarchs, is there if there would be someone who's really, really corrupt, there's no way to like no. get them out of there. Well, especially this is especially in Russia's system, which is purely hereditary. I mean, you get the throne because you were born into it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you need to get killed. <laughs> That's basically what it comes down to. Because there was, at, there was times in Russian history where the people were like, "Uh, this guy's not really the king. It's this guy." Yeah, the guy we found on the street over here. Yeah, it's him, actually. But that that never worked. Yeah. So, uh, in Russia at this time. But again, otherwise, he's making some pretty fair... Mm -hmm. It's a pretty fair argument. Mm -hmm. And just, it's what we do today. It's it's how our countries run. I mean, that's how it works. We basically choose someone who has similar beliefs as us so that... When they do get in there, we know mm. that they're going to do what they want with their beliefs, and mm. that can go along with what we want. It can, but yeah. it also cannot. Yes. They could just be completely aligned. <laughs> exactly. That's what he, that's the point um, Pobedon, Pobedonostsev is trying to make. All right, moving on. Um, we're going to talk about what he has to say about uh, the judiciary system and parliament in general. And you'll find it's very similar to what he had to say about uh, suffrage. So um, he goes on to say, in what, in what does the theory of parliamentism consist? It is supposed that the people in its assemblies make its own law and elects responsible officers to execute its will. Such is the ideal conception. Its immediate realization is impossible. The historical development of society necessitates that local communities increase in numbers and complexity that separate races be assimilated or retaining their uh, polities and languages, unite under a single flag that territory extends indefinitely. Under such conditions, direct government by the people is impracticable. The people must therefore delegate its right of power to its representatives and invest them with administrative autonomy. These representatives in turn cannot govern immediately but are compelled to elect a still smaller number of trustworthy persons ministers to whom they entrust the preparation and execution of the laws, the apportionment, and collection of taxes, the appointment of subordinate, subordinate officials, and the disposition of the militant forces. Uh, so he's saying, uh, in this case, people will elect representatives, will elect officers, will elect ministers, and there's a lot of electing that goes on to assemble what you would consider your parliament, but he's not, he's not against it yet. Uh, But he continues on to say, In the abstract, this mechanism is quite symmetrical. For its proper operation, many conditions are essential. The working of the political machine is based on impersonal forces constantly acting and completely balanced. And then further on he says, Such is the theory. Let us look at the practice. Even in the classic countries of parliamentarism, it would satisfy not one of the conditions enumerated. 
The elections in no way express the will of the electors. The popular representatives are in no way restricted by the opinions of their constituents, but are guided by their own views and considerations, modified by the tactics of their opponents. In reality, ministers are autocratic and they rule rather than they are ruled by parliament. They attain power and lose power, not by virtue of will of the people, but through immense personal influence or the influence of a strong party which places them in power or drives them from it. They dispose of the force and resources of the nation at will. They grant immunities and uh, favors. They maintain a multitude of idlers at the expense of the people, and they fear no censure while they enjoy the support in Parliament of a majority, which they maintain by the distribution of bounties from the rich tables which the state has put at their disposal. Pretty strong words there. So, um, I guess we'll, we'll start at the beginning back there. And he does say that, in theory, um, he believes a democratic um, parliament should work. Like, if you have, if the people vote um, ministers into places of parliament who are supposed to do A, B, and C, and then they do A, B, and C, cool. Like, that's fine. But then, in practice, he's like, well, these people don't do A, B, and C. Instead, they do D, E, and F. Like, they they don't care anymore about the people that elected them there. They now are like, well, I'm here now, so I'm going to do what I think is right. I know, again, it's kind of back to the Democratic situation where it's like, yes, you were elected, so a majority of the people are going to support what you do, but not all the time. That's not something that would happen all the time. Um, and he also believes, and again, this is very relevant in our system, they just changed their tactics, as he puts it, to counter whatever the opponent is saying of what they're saying. So, again, it's not caring about what the people want. It's just like, well, my opponent's saying this. I have to be the opposite of that. I have to do better than that. Mm -hmm. Just focusing on making themselves look good basically um and again this he also believes that and again this is true uh relatively true i would say in our system now is that they attain power through personal influence hey i know a guy i mean that's it really yeah that's how most people are put into these positions like this not necessarily through elections but just because they know someone mm -hmm. Um, and he goes on to say, oh, they just dispose of the, the military forces and they don't care about the nation's resources and they do whatever they want at the expense of the people who elected them. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so not, not a fan of how parliament is put into practice. And can you say he's wrong there? No. I mean, uh, I don't, we don't know. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything about America's judicial system. But you have to, I mean, he sound, from what you hear and what you know, Yeah. it sounds like he's got a fair point. Yeah, well, like he was saying people elect people who then elect people. Yeah. I think like that kind of. It just goes so far down a rabbit hole. Well, and if I elect so-and-so, and then they elect someone to be their vice president that I don't like, or their vice yeah. president I don't like, 
and you know, like they just the power to elect has gone into their hands now, yeah. and they can elect whoever they want, mm-hmm. not whoever you want. Mm-hmm. Which is how it becomes more. Go ahead. And with the like, just basically saying the opposite of what the other person's saying, I feel like a lot of people will vote for someone not for that person, but because they hate the other person. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm not saying what they're saying, and what they're saying is bad, so you should vote for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, very comparable. This is the democracy as we kind of know it. Like, he is not, he's not completely wrong. Um, I think he is a little bit extreme. You couldn't tell this guy's a bit of a conserv- conservative. <laughs> but, um, again, I think he's got fair points. Don't judges stay for life? Oh, I don't know. Um, like if we like the judicial system, the judges they're there for life. I think that's I think so. Is. I think that's true. Or for so a long time. That's kind of a weird thing too to me. Again. That, that, happens. Yeah, that is weird. Because then you get what I think there's what, nine? Or yeah, twelve? Nine. Well it's not an even number. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, however many there is, and then if they're you just have them for years until they die, mm-hmm. and then you have no choice. I mean, obviously there's like a choice where we could get them out of there if we wanted. Yeah. But most of the time they're just gonna stay in there for until they're dead, and that's like yeah, a monarch. That's like a monarch. So so I don't know. Um, should we change that? Maybe. I don't know. But again, it's like, okay, we're electing those guys. If we elect new people, they're going to elect new people to do what they want. And it's more of this electing people who are electing people who are electing people things. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like, okay, we're getting farther and farther away from what the people want. Um, so that was that. Next, we'll talk about uh, the press. Uh, we'll just go over this briefly because you can already probably imagine what he thinks about uh, freedom of the press. He says, from the day that man first fell falsehood has ruled the world, ruled it in human speech. In the practical business of life, in all its relations and institutions, but never did the father of lies spin such webs of falsehood of every kind as in this restless age when we hear so many falsehoods uttered everywhere on truth. With the growing complexity of social problems, increases the number of relations and institutions pervaded with falsehood through and through. At every step appears some splendid uh, edifice bearing the legend, here is truth. Do you enter? You tread on falsehoods at every step. Would you expose the fal- falsehoods which have angered you? The world will turn on you with anger greater still, and bid you trust and preach that this is truth, and truth unassailable. Um, I don't think I need to go too much more into that. He's basically saying, somebody says something, and it, could, it doesn't matter if it's true or false, because it grabs your attention, and then it's like, this has to be what true. Was this written? Uh, I don't know. It was, I don't know. I did say uh, 1898. It's just weird that, like, yeah. this is so comparable to, like, 1898. Today, because, like, comparable to social media and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like, people believe anything that's on anything, social media. Anything. And they'll believe what they want to. Well, and the other thing is, they're going to believe their news mm-hmm. source. Their news source. Because 
like CNN and Fox will say two completely different mm, things. Yeah. And you're going to just believe what, what yours says. And it's like, okay, you want to believe what your people are saying about something. That's fine. But why not like do research? Because why is the other person saying the complete opposite? That's mm-hmm. just weird. Yep. I wouldn't want, like get the full picture. Yep. And I, I completely agree. And we talked about, I can't remember now. I wanted to remember, uh, there was some sort of law that was in vote up until the Reagan administration. I can't remember what it was, but basically there was three news channels. I don't, we're, we're in the era of the TV, but I don't know, don't know what years we're in right now, but we're in America there's only three news channels. There was a law that said a news channel, if you're going to prevent, if you want to present news on a controversial topic, you must uh, consider both sides of the argument <laughs> always. And that was a law up until up until the Reagan administration, um, and that it got out of hand basically because there started to be more and more news channels and more uh-huh. and more news. But when there's only three channels like that, yeah. But you can do this sort of thing. That is something you can regulate. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is a very, very good way to Well, there are out. news sources that are more oh, neutral. Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. But. But you, when they're, that's yeah. all, you, that's all they had back yeah. then was only regulated sources. That's not like that now. So at the hospital where I work, we have TVs in our waiting room. And we are not allowed <laughs> to put on CNN or Fox or yeah. any controversial yeah. news source. We have to have like That's a, good idea. a neutral one on. And people get so frustrated. Yeah, <laughs> and they we're do. like, I'm sorry, we don't want to have fights. We're not having <laughs> fights break out. And, God, and, and the fact that that causes fights, it's like, yeah. why does it really matter that really? much why do you have to argue so much about it it's it's like i hear your opinion you hear my opinion okay it's different okay i don't understand why it has to be everything people talk about mm-hmm. and they have to always be right too yeah and be, it's yeah. like you can have your opinion again your, it's what he's go back to what he's saying what i'm saying isn't going to change your mind so what you're saying yeah. isn't going to change mine so even it, you you believe you're right because you've heard it some some falsity somewhere, but you believe they say this is the undeniable truth, and you've heard it over and over again, and now and you just believe it, mm-hmm. and this is it's just something you believe. Um, so again, dude, in 1898, <laughs> making fucking great points about how our system works. I was just wondering when this was because I was wondering like what type of uh press what type of media yes. he would meant what yes. he could be talking about yeah. basically yeah it's only newspapers back then he mm. would be fucking blown away yeah. if he could see what but the I hell assume doing that now. there was probably newspapers that were for opposite sides maybe um in russia at this time you had some liberal newspapers but there was a lot of um just as this was written, actually, um, Nicholas II was the monarch, and him, along with Alexander III, introduced very a lot of counter-reforms, which are reforms that are not good, basically. 
and one of them was, hey, no more, no more of this funky, you know, post printing whatever you want business. We're cracking down on that. Um, so the time there wasn't a lot of it. Yeah. Well, I think that that's important to have freedom of the press in order to say things and like be able to share your ideas but I think that social media and the press have gotten out of hand basically yeah and it's to the point where people are stupid and people are gonna believe whatever <laughs> yep. you say whatever and because you people say. are stupid if people I don't think it would be as bad if everyone read it and thought Oh, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to try to Critical get back thinking. up on that. I'm going to do my research, you know, but nobody does that. We like Everybody that Everybody sees it and is like, oh my gosh, this they don't, is true. They don't care about sources or anything. Nothing no. about that. They lack effort. Lack effort. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a full fucking effort enthusiast because I don't give a shit about anything political. <laughs> but if I did... I wouldn't just believe the first thing a bloke down the street tells me. Yeah. We get people all the time coming to our workplaces. Oh, did you hear about this and this and this? And it's like, okay. I had somebody, um, a guy, he comes in and he goes, are you a Trump supporter? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how to respond to you (laughs) because that is, you're either, you could yell at me either, you know, like, if yeah. I say yes or no, yeah, you're asking for a horrible yes, a horrible <laughs> ten minutes. I'm of your like, life. what are you? <laughs> I don't know how to respond. <laughs> okay, okay, moving on, moving on. That was press. That was fun, but now we're gonna get to see what it talks about with um, education. Um, so let's 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 get into it here. As for public instruction, take for instance the phrases. Repeated unto wariness among us and everywhere. Free education, obligatory attendance, the restriction of child labor during the years of obligatory attendance. There can be no question that learning is light and that ignorance is darkness. But in the application of this rule, we must take care to be ruled by common sense. That's pretty crazy, right? Um, And so to abstain from violating that freedom, of which we will hear so much and which our legislators so ruthlessly restrict... Inspired by an idle saying that the schoolmaster won the Battle of Sadowa, we multiply our model schools and schoolmasters, ignoring the requirements both of children and of parents, of climate, and of nature itself. We refuse to recognize what experience has shown that the school is a deceptive formality where its roots have taken no hold among the people, where it fails to meet the people's necessities and to accord with the economy of its life. That school alone is suited to the people which pleases them and the enlightening influence of which they see and feel. But all schools are repugnant to them to which they are driven by force under threats of punishment or which are organized in ignorance of the people's tastes and necessities on the fantasies of doctrinaries. In such schools, the work becomes mechanical. The school resembles an office with all the formality and wariness which office life involves. The legislator is satisfied when he has found and organized in certain localities a certain number of similar institutions adorned with the inscription school. For these establishments, money must be raised. Attendance is secured under penalty. A great staff of inspectors is organized, whose duty is it to see that parents and poor and working men send their children to school at the established age. Already, all governments have transgressed the line at which public instruction begins to show its reverse side. 
Everywhere official education flourishes at the expense of that real education in the sphere of domestic, professional, and social life, which is a vital element of success. And then later, he goes on to say, It is an unhappy day when education tears, tears the child from the surroundings in which he first acquired the elements of his future calling. Those exercises of his early years through which he acquires, almost unconsciously, the tastes and capacity for work. The boy who wishes to become a bachelor or master of arts must begin his studies at a certain age, and in due time pass through a given course of knowledge. But the vast majority of children must learn to live by the work of their hands. For such work, physical training is needed from the earliest age. To close the door to such preparation, that time may be saved for the teaching of schools, is to place a burden upon the lives of the masses who have to struggle for their daily bread and to shackle in the family the natural development of those economic forces which together constitute the capital of the commonwealth. The sailor qualifies for his calling by spending his boyhood on the sea. The miner prepares for his work by early years spent in the subterranean passages and mines. To the agriculturalist, it is even more essential that he shall become accustomed for his future work, that he may learn to love it in his childhood, in the presence of nature, beside his herds and his plow, in the midst of his fields and his meadows." Big words there um, from him. So basically, um, all this general studies nonsense that we have to go through now, through high school and college and all that, stupid. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people agree. Well, and I understand, like, requiring certain courses that are going to be helpful. <laughs> like helpful finance, is the key word there, helpful. Finance, like the home ec classes that they have or like different things like that. Um, but these freaking trigonometry and ca yeah. chemistry, I'm never really going to use that in my life unless I do choose to go you know, into I, that. But I wish that they did more like letting people choose to take uh, the classes that they want because they're, they could go further in that. Rather than wasting my yeah. time on these. Yeah. I uh, I completely agree. Um, you know, I'm. A, it's like if I was an engineering major, you know, I love what I'm reading with this guy. But if I'm an engineering major and they're going to force me to know what the fuck Konstantin Pobanotsov <laughs> said in this book, I'm not, I'm not going to care. It's just stupid. It's just dumb. And so what I think... The consensus is what they're trying to do with this general studies crap is all they're trying to do is um, enhance critical thinking. Well, and like a well-rounded person so that when you are in society mm -hmm. and having conversations and when you do with need people, to vote and when you do yes. need to have a political, uh, you need a political An opinion on opinions. things. You need, you then need you're more well-rounded. You know what they're talking about and yeah. not be completely clueless. But... They don't need to go as in-depth as they do. I don't. I agree. I don't think they need to go as in-depth. But I disagree with this education thought process here because you do need to be well-rounded at least. Yes. And you do, under this circumstance, you won't acquire any sort of critical thinking skills. Like you're taught what you're taught and then you, there's no need for you to break from what you know and break and try to be try to well, also, be something like, else. If you're if you your parents are farmers and you're going to be a farmer and that's all you know and that's all they show you, how are you supposed to know that? Oh, you're great at science. Do you want to be a doctor? How would you know that if you never tried? Yeah. And 
when things like that happen with the farmer example, you you just do you're doing what they're doing, so you're mm-hmm. thinking what they're thinking, you're saying what they say. So it's like you're just you're not really you're just becoming another one of them, really. Mm-hmm. Um, not nothing wrong with that. I but guess. I do think that apprenticeships and stuff like that are good for yeah. people once they choose that they like. I think that everyone should have a well-rounded education, and then once they kind of see which area they're most interested in, then they should be able to just focus on that interest yeah. and maybe do like some apprenticeship with just focusing on that area and then you don't need as much other. Yeah. I, I, I think that would make sense. And, um, I, uh, I do have to say though, if I did it this guy's way, I wouldn't be in debt. It's <laughs> like, that's a, that's a bonus. Um, but, Otherwise, there are some holes in this line of uh, logic, I think. Um, but that is, that's all we're going to cover today. That is, the, that is it for Constantine. I'm going to say his name right this time. Pobednostsev. <laughs> I had to stutter there, but I got it. Pobednostsev. Now let me ask you, if you wouldn't have read that and would have just had me read it, how wrong would it be? <laughs> I'm a very bad reader. Yeah, very bad. Speaker. Um, <laughs> definitely dyslexic. Yeah. Sure. It's not dis- is it dyslexia if you just put random words in there that aren't in there and well, just replace them with other freaking you know, words? <laughs> that's the, I don't I think just, that's dyslexia. I think I anymore. see the first I'm a, like I just want to say it quick, and I see the first and the last letter. But you don't want to say it quick because you're a slow reader. (laughs) Well, you know, I I see the first and the last letter and then just fill it in. Anyway, anyway, that was the falsehood of democracy. Some great points were made, I think. Some great points were made. Um, This book is great. It's The Readings in Russian Civilization, uh, edited by Thomas Reha. It's got a cool little bird with a nice big blue tail. On the on the cover, that's how you know you got it. Um, and that's it. Uh, well, I might come back to this honestly for more because I've loved everything I've read so far in this book. Um, it has been really fun to read through this, and because they, uh, a lot of these go back to even before eighteen hundred eighteen ninety eight and the eighteen hundreds. Some of them are in the nineteen hundreds, but still, there's a lot of. And there's a lot of this, and there's a lot that's really, they were really smart. They were, they were really smart. Um, Are they all Russian? Yeah. Or at least all Slavic, at at the very least. I don't know if they're all Russian, but they're definitely all Slavic. Um, Yeah, that's it. That is it for this episode of the C-String Podcast. I know it's been a long fucking time since I've gotten the mic out, but I'm hoping we'll go, we'll shoot for... Two Mondays a month. And with that lenient time frame, maybe we'll get, we'll be consistent. Um, and this will, might, might be uh, a, another excerpt from this book next time. That's probably what it'll be, in fact. I can't think of much else, uh, anything else I have on the dock, really. Um, but that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. Mm-hmm. Will you join me next time? Was that yeah. fun? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Uh, that's it for us today. We will see you later. Bye.